I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist and the host of this podcast, From Crisis to Connection. This is a podcast about relationships. The relationships with others, of course, but also the relationship with ourselves and the relationship with our higher power. I believe we experience our deepest joys when we're in harmony with these relationships. But when we lose that connection to ourselves and others through our own unhealthy behaviors like addictions, infidelity, secrecy, abuse, and so on, or we lose it by being betrayed by someone else's choices, it throws us into crisis. Getting out of crisis and living in connection isn't always straightforward or easy, but it is possible. And that's why every week I bring you incredible guests who share their life experiences and expertise to help you move from crisis to connection. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Today, we are going to complete part two of my interview with Dr. Mark Matheson. I had him on the previous episode where we talked about honesty and how to build, a, you know, basically build an environment and a mindset to become a more honest person and also help your family become more honest and really loved his emphasis on practicing this as a skill. And in today's episode, we actually get into the practice of it, the application. There's a lot of information in this episode, and I'll put the details and the bullet points in the show notes so that you can go look that up. And if you feel yourself getting a little bit overwhelmed or your brain starts to feel full, that's okay. Just listen and I'll put all the info in there so you can check it out. And if you haven't listened to the previous episode, of course, as we always say, go check that out just to get the context for this one. But there's still some great stuff in here on its own that absolutely stands, uh, stands on its own. Dr. Matheson has an MBA from Harvard, a doctorate in organizational leadership from the University of Pennsylvania. And he's taught at BYU-Hawaii, Southern Virginia Universities. He's been a senior partner and a senior analyst with three investment banks and was an adjunct professor for a number of years at several universities. And uh, he's taught at BYU Education Week for a number of years and has taught and volunteered in prisons. He's just a man of great experience and has been in lots of different ethical situations in the business world and academia where obviously honesty was brought right to the forefront. And he's just a great, you know, he's just a great person, great uh, communicator and has just been able to organize and outline these principles in a way that we can actually do something about improving our honesty. And I really am grateful for all of his research and his willingness to come on here and share this with us. So let's dive right into part two of my interview with Dr. Mark Matheson. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Matheson. It's so great to have you back here with me. Nice to be here, Jeff. Thanks for having me back for a good follow-up. Yeah, you bet. Now, in the last podcast, if listeners, if you haven't listened to it, it'd be good to... This is part two, so you're, you'll have a little more context if you can go back and listen to it. We did cover like five preliminary basic steps in improving honesty in your own life and in your family. I mean, I'll just review those real quick. Perceiving dishonesty, number one, perceiving dishonesty as a threat to the well-being of your family. Number two, seeking to understand why you and or your family has dishonesty issues or events. Number three, develop a personal commitment to honesty. Number four, develop a vision of honesty for your family and the world. And number five, trust in positive outcomes of honest behavior. And then we did talk about, barely started talking about some related core traits of honesty, which were sacrifice and humility. And you had said at the end of our last episode, when we were wrapping up that you were going to give us some, some more like skill sets, some more tools to really help put this stuff into action. So I'll let you just take off from there. Okay. That, that's a good plan for today. 
I would like to really reinforce that sacrifice and humility as two of those key skills. I, I was surprised. I was trying to do non-denominational research and to see sacrifice and humility as two of the keys to being honest. You know, from my religious background, I, you know, I didn't want those to overshadow right. the research. But, you know, in a way, I was pleased that truth came to the surface. And they're so crucial, I found that mastering those two selfless actions really can take away the main motivators to be dishonest. If you are humble and self-sacrificing, you have less motivation to try and, and be dishonest and cover up your mistakes. So uh, today, I'd like to share a few more advanced steps to incorporate what I call the three facilitators of honesty. And you know, for ease of remembrance, I've had them all start with an E. Okay. Exemplify, enable, and encourage. So you exemplify honesty, you become an honesty hero. I think about, you know, will your kids say anything about your honesty at your funeral? And will you accept the challenge to correct prior poor honesty modeling that you've had in the past and, and try to be better? So exemplify. The second one is enable honesty. You take down the barriers that keep honesty from thriving and being a big part of your life. And the third uh, skill is to encourage honesty, to turn around dishonest practices, to really root that out of your life. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, let's, let's just dive right into those. If you can take us a little further on each one with those three E's, I love that. Okay. Under exemplify, I have four specific practices I've identified that these honest people okay. did. The first one was they practiced self-reminders. And so I saw that what that really means is that you feel a little uneasy about the situation you're in. You're, you're tempted to be dishonest and you slap yourself on the side of the head and say, I'm unclear on this. I'm unsure of any rules that apply. It just doesn't feel right. I better discuss it with someone. I better, I better spend a little more time before I give a, a quick dishonest answer. And some people I found they use personalized mental or written checklists to help evaluate an honesty dilemma that they come across in their life. For example, they ask themselves, what's the other person thinking about this? So they, they mm -hmm. empathize and say, how does this other person perceive the situation? And am I doing things that I think are honest, but that other people might perceive as being dishonest? And the prototypical example of that is when you, as one person said, it was the Washington Post test or the, the Tribune or the Desert News test that you asked if a reporter was watching this situation and, and seeing what I'm saying and doing, and it ended up on the front page of the paper or the evening news the next day, how would I feel about that? Mm -hmm. you know, would, yep. Do I want people to know and say, oh yeah, this is clearly, you know, you acted honorably and with, with integrity, or will people say, no, you were, you were being uh, dishonest. So you cross-check your situation with your established set of values. So you, you've done some self-examination. And I found some people had an honesty motto or a reminding phrase that they would let come into their mind. Some people call that a, a mental touchstone. Mm -hmm. And you even maybe share that key word with your spouse or a friend or a family member, and they can help you be accountable by just mentioning that, that touchstone. In October of 2006 General Conference, there was a talk specifically on honesty, 
by, Brit, by Bishop Richard Edgeley, and he mentioned two of the honesty touchstones that he had used in his life. Uh, you remember that that story? It's been a yeah. while. Yeah, it's been 15 years. I do remember the, the stories. I don't remember all the details of them, but yeah, go on with that. I do remember it. Yeah, the, their two touchstones were three towels when he worked uh, at a, a lodge up at Jackson Lake. And when he was going to an airport, 25 cent newspaper. So three towels and 25 cent newspaper are the touchstones in his life. And I really like those stories and would encourage any of your listeners to reread that talk from October 2006 to see the details of that story. I also like to remind myself of the famous reminders that encourage wrongdoers to rationalize. So these are the whisperings of Satan to our ear. No one will ever know, just once won't hurt, and everybody else is doing it. And mm. so those are three great lines yep. that help the bad side win. And now I would suggest that the inverse of those can be used to whisper to yourself positive reminders that God and I and maybe everyone else will know just once might sink me and everybody's not doing it. So that those are three that I, I like to use as reminders in my life. And there's a good story from one of my research subjects. He said, quote, I'm not going to turn out like these people. I'm not going to let those little compromises ruin my life because my reputation means more than whatever amount of money I'm gaining. I won't have a clear conscience. I don't want to have any secrets. I want a life that is above reproach. I don't want to be the next headline story. So that's really motivating for me. I'm trying to give our guys, his employees, enough information to say, that could be me. And so they will set up safeguards and structures. He said, in conclusion, quote, I saw too many people I loved, admired, respected, caught up in lies, dishonest acts. And I want to make sure I don't end up being the next casualty. Yeah. End of his quote there. Yeah, that's so, so good. That was powerful. Mm-hmm. So the second step of exemplify, number two, is guard against rationalizing. Mm. We need to be aware of all those built-in self-justification mechanisms that we've used most of our life. Uh, I remember one that I had from junior high. was in a school back in the days when they didn't have copiers in the library, and I had to do a report on a bird for my science class, and I tore out the pictures from the library's copy of the National Geographic. And I got caught, called in to the teacher in the principal's office with my parents. So the name of that bird, Osprey, <laughs> has become a touchstone for me to remember to be honest and upright. And, you know, I, th- I was okay because I was justified because there was no copy machine. So I needed visual aids for my report. And so I thought, <laughs> right. I rationalized myself that, well, if the school can't afford a copy machine, they deserve this. Okay. And so yeah. you know, that's what could happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me of that bucket analogy that you quoted in the last episode with Dallin Oaks, where you talked about it's, you know, honesty is like a bucket. If there's even a little hole in it, it doesn't serve its purpose anymore. And it just doesn't perform. And it may take a while, but it's still leaking. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the big question that often follows that people really have to deal with this honesty issue. If someone is doing some amount of lying, mm-hmm. even that small little hole in the bucket, how do you know they won't continue to lie if they're doing any of it? Yep. So here's the rationalizing safeguard I like. And this is a, a good technique to use. Let those in authority or your spouse, for example, 
make the decision after being informed of all the necessary information. So you don't make the decision. You aren't in control. You share the information, all you know, and let someone else that has more authority or will be impacted by your decision, let them make the decision. And so I think that keeps us from rationalizing. Yeah, I love that. That's a great boundary, a good personal rule to have. I love that. The, The third step of exemplifying that I've identified is recognizing our own little white lies. Mm. So you ask yourself, how do I draw the line or the boundary between a little white lie, a middle gray lie, or lot big worse lies? You know, it's a slippery slope. And so if you recognize the little lies you're making and say, no, I'm going to stop here. I'm not going to let it go further. You can keep those lies from becoming really big compromises. Do you remember the story about the guy it's a famous, you know, apocryphal story. He made a deal with the devil and the devil offered him a million bucks and he took the million bucks. And then after they'd shaken on it, uh, the devil comes back and said, no, I'm not going to give you a million. I'm going to give you $10. And the guy gets all upset. You know, you promised me a million. And the devil says, well, we determined you're willing to be a liar. Now we're just haggling over price. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just it. Once you reveal your willingness to do that, to lie, and that you're willing to compromise, then it does. It calls into question your overall character. I mean, that's the biggest thing that's at stake, which is your character and your credibility. And so, I mean, I've seen this before in my own life and life of others that I've worked with is that that natural progression where you start to become suspicious of how far will this go, right? What else are they willing to do? It's it's critical to, like you said, to, to catch it at that level, because after that, it really almost doesn't matter. The person's credibility is shot. Yeah, it'll as we talked about a lot last week or last time, trust. It'll destroy the trust if you don't think they're telling you the truth. That's right. So the last and fourth step of exemplify, I found that these honest people, they pre-planned and rehearsed honest responses. Mm. And a big part of exemplifying honesty is to develop your communication skills, skills that are honest. And so you can ask yourself, What are some situations in the future that I'm going to be facing that will cause some stress and some tension where I'll be tempted to fudge the truth? Hmm. And so you think about what that will be in the future, and now you go ahead and prepare some honest responses that you know you're eventually going to face. Yeah. And so you identify those issues in advance, and you can be a lot more objective. You can avoid the heat of the moment, knee-jerk response. And you can map out responses to those future honesty dilemmas. And even if you need to, script them. That way you've made the decision now to be honest in the future. And you can be exact. You can tell people exactly the truth and not get you know a little tattered around the edges and lose some of your credibility. Now, one important thing is honesty doesn't mean you have to be totally brutal and brash and direct. Right. You can still be honest by creating a really good, sensitive environment, a good context, some good, honest content for how you give your honest messages. You know, I'm thinking of, of porn addictions. This might be you plan out well in advance how you're going to tell your spouse that you've slipped up again. And so you don't rationalize, you don't hum and ha, but you map that out and even script it so you can be totally upfront and truthful. And and even plan out, say, all right, now, what if my spouse asked me this question? How will I respond 
and be transparent and upfront and, and not lie about it. Yeah, when and, we're when we're doing formal therapeutic disclosures with people, I I tell guys, you know, we work through and write out exactly their whole story, and I just say, don't veer from the script because you'll start improvising. You'll see your wife's you know, pained reaction on her face and you'll want to like change the message. So this is so critical to practice honesty, prepare honest responses and stick to them. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I mean, boy, if you're like me, I don't like emotional messiness. Yeah. <laughs> Confrontation is just messy. And and we we revert back to our our lying skills that we have practiced our whole life when we get into messiness. Yeah. yeah so true. So Sort of to summarize that, search for the phrasing that is honest, but can still accomplish the same humane result that your lies that you tell often try to achieve. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're trying to keep your spouse or your friend or your boss from some pain, but find an honest way of doing that rather than the, the dishonest way. Yeah, I love uh, that. And, and sometimes the best response is just going to be silence. You know, be quiet. Don't mislead. Maybe just reply, I can't say or you know, if, if you ask the boss, you know, if you're the boss and say, hey, are we going to have layoffs? You know, that, those are some things you just can't reveal before the right time. And so you just say, I can't say. And mm-hmm. It takes some thinking about it or else what you don't say or say might tip off your hand. So it's really good to practice in advance for those tough situations. Like, like in a family situation, you might have some inappropriate or sensitive topics that come up. For example, a kid might ask, Hey, dad, you'd ever get in trouble as a teenager. And instead of telling your, your war stories from how you screwed up as a teenager, you might just simply say, yes. And Jim, why, why do you ask? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like yeah. that phrase that you turn it back to him and say, no, why are you asking me? You know, and, and you get them talking so you don't have to, uh, you know, spill your guts, you know, when it's maybe not the appropriate time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of Bill Clinton's you know, completely bad example, inept response of, you know, did you, I don't remember what the question was, was it, did you smoke marijuana or something like that? And he says, I didn't inhale. <laughs> I mean, that was, yeah. that was famous for a reason, because I think we all can relate to coming up with a pretty, you know, off the wall lie, you know, when we get caught in situations like that. Very creative. Well, yeah, it, it's hard. And, yep. and so you, you think about this, like, think of this scenario. You go on a family vacation Let's say to Mexico, your mother-in-law buys all the married kids cheap t-shirts at the swap meet. You know you'll never wear it. You think it's a waste of the money. And then your mother-in-law asks, hey, did you like the t-shirt? What are you going to say? You conceal how your real feelings to save her feelings. And so you you practice in advance what you will say in a, a situation like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I remember reading in the Reader's Digest years ago, a great response to somebody who uh, during Christmas who uh, brings over fruitcake and they said, yep, when somebody hands me a fruitcake, I just say, oh, things like this don't last very long around here. (laughs) (laughs) Totally true. So so we can certainly preserve people's dignity and certainly in low pressure situations like that. But yes, I, I think we need to be humane and honest. And that was a clever, funny one. But I think obviously in more high pressure, more high stake situations, we need to obviously be honest but also be prepared and be careful so that we can always practice that humanity. And sometimes there'll be a situation where love will trump minor dishonesty. Yeah, for sure. So I think you have to be sensitive of that, that there are, there's a, a hierarchy of ethical values and love is at the peak we hold. And so that's right. as much as you can be honest, but you don't want to crush your spouse's spirits 
you know, and find a way to make it true, but still sensitive and empathetic. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And some things like, you know, and like you said, the love sometimes can tune into what they're really asking and really address that instead of perhaps just uh, addressing things on a surface level. So go ahead. I just thought of another example of where spouses need to help their spouses have some boundaries. And if the one spouse totally gives in the other spouse and doesn't help them establish good boundaries, like I know a situation where you have the the wife that doesn't think the mother-in-law loves her and the husband doesn't defend his mother. You know, you should, you should say, well, of course my mother loves you. You just don't maybe understand how she's loving you. But if the one spouse is just a yes man for everything the other spouse says and never helps them with any boundaries. Yeah. I think they're missing one of the big benefits of marriage. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's a great example. So let's summarize real quick. The, so just so the listeners aren't confused about where we are with this, we talked about the three E's, right? Exemplifying being the first, but underneath exemplifying, we have these four skills that are very much, you know, give you some traction in practicing this exemplifying, which is practicing self-reminders, number one. Number two, guard against rationalizing. Number three, recognize your own white lies. And number four, rehearse these honest responses. So those are fantastic. All right. So, so we got those down, Pat. Yep. So let's move on to the next facilitator of honesty. After exemplifying, it is now enable honesty. And here, quick four things I can okay. suggest to your listeners. Number one, avoid presumptive honesty. It can happen to your kids. So don't naively assume that, oh, all my kids are perfect. They're always honest. Gather evidence before you make any conclusions about their honesty, you know, mm-hmm. get, a, get a real grasp of what the reality of is honesty in your family. Just don't, you know, whitewash and say, oh, my family's perfect. Number two, yeah. use some one-on-one interaction, get them talking in privately. Utilize many levels of maybe some deeper interviews. If children know that you will have a searching interview with them at set intervals, they may be less inclined to hide things in between. Fear of discovery, is a crude but important barrier to dishonesty. Yeah. If they think they can get away with it, we probably will. But yeah. They they, know they're gonna- right. If they don't think mom and dad are paying attention or never care, or never ask, then of course they're going to let out tons of line. You bet. But I, yeah, I agree that the regular interviews is huge. Yeah. The third point, uh, you can't abandon the rules and honesty enforcement. You have to have some family rules. Even if you think you have perfect kids, you have to have the endorsement side and the reinforcement side put in place controls to give some honest actions. For example, don't have an unrealistic one-sided curfew that you will know will be almost impossible for your kid to keep. So you have a good rule and you have some enforcement. You know, the old adage, uh, the old proverb is, you know, trust in Allah, but tie up your camel. Right. So you you don't have a a totally non-rule-free family on honesty. And the fourth one, is disable the economic motivators for dishonesty. Mm. Money is, is can be the root of a lot of dishonesty. And so honest seekers I have found have discipline in their dealings with money. And so you short circuit the need for power and money drivers in your life. You have, as I call, I suggest to all my students, they have a walking money or a rainy day or a slush emergency fund where if their boss wants them to do something unethical, or they have to be forced into a corner, they can say, I'm not doing this. I'm sticking to my values. Goodbye. I'm quitting my job. 
and they aren't going to starve the next week because they have set some money aside and they aren't over a barrel economically. So uh, to have a good, stable financial cushion so you can be honest. Otherwise, you might be tempted. Gosh, if I don't lie or do this for my boss, I'm going to get fired and my family's going to starve. And then that feeling of love for your family might uh, trump your, your honesty desire. So you, you have some budget guards against temptations, to be honest. And like even with your kids, you eliminate the disincentive, the disincentive for them to do the wrong thing. And say, for example, if your 13-year-old needs some money to buy something, instead of having to shoplift it or steal it or something, you make sure they have an access to an allowance or some chore work or something so they don't have to go out and be dishonest because they have no money. So you you think about that in advance. Yeah, I love that. And it really, you know, a lot of times it's we expect our kids or those around us to just always be honest as if their environment or context doesn't matter. But it does. It puts tremendous pressure on us and it can move the needle for us if we're not careful. So I love that. Just setting people up for success, making it easy to be honest. I, I love that. Yeah. I just saw a, a TV show over the weekend where the financial advisor told the client, you know, leave the blank. I have a stamp. I'll put the, the stamp of the firm in the pay line. And he was tight on money and he wrote his own name. And so he's going to go to jail eventually as the series continues probably because he'll get caught for, for stealing the client's money. And so he was too tight. He had pressure from his wife to buy clothes for the kids and he didn't have any money in the bank to do that. So disengage the money motivator for dishonesty is so crucial. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, let's. Uh, so we've gone over exemplifying went over those four points and then under enabling these four suggestions, which are fantastic. And then the last one here is encouraging honesty. Let's, let's talk about that. Okay. Uh, I have two main points for that one. Okay. The first one is sharing information in openness and transparency. You know, share as much about the bad news as we do about the good news. You know, mm-hmm. we, we're inclined to always just want to sugarcoat things and tell people only the good news. But if you have the habit of being open about the bad things, then you're not going to lie about those things. And and make sure that the communication is bi-directional about things that may or may not happen. Try to be real and realistic about what will happen in the future. And I like one guy, he said, I can deal with the truth, but I can't deal with lies. That's what he told his his organization. And he wanted them to think, wow, if, if he's sharing with me the bad news, then I can trust him and he will listen to me. And so I'm not going to be afraid to tell the boss or my spouse the bad news because they have had good communication with me from their end about the bad news. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the related point to that, the second point is understand what to disclose. Here's one thing I think people have a misconception about honesty is honest communication does not necessarily mean full disclosure of everything we know. It's not a data dump of everything in your heart in your brain, you don't have to tell everyone. You, you don't lie, but there's no obligation to tell them every little thing that you know. Now, yes. I think I think you want to imply you know employ the golden rule where you you put yourself in their shoes and say, now what would they want to know? You know, I I I, I know this fact or I know this situation. Will they really want to know that as well? And and try to put yourself in their shoes and. If you see that, you know, wow, they would really want that information, 
that will help them in their life and their decision-making. So I better disclose that. But other things, you know, maybe are better left unsaid. So one leader said, if I'm honest with people, I think they'll be honest with me. If I'm dishonest to people, they will probably be dishonest with me. So it really is is bi-directional here. Yeah. And I didn't put it in a bullet point, but I think I think one crucial thing we want to try to do is to reduce the fear of confessing or reporting dishonesty. You know, if the child has, you know, backed out of the garage and taken off the rear view mirror on the car, and then he's so worried that you're going to just lose control and blow up over it, he might be tempted to make up a story. Well, gosh, dad, that happened in the, the parking lot at the mall. And, you know, I don't know what happened. And yeah. so you really want to have that environment where your kids and your spouse, the people you love, don't feel like they can't tell you things or discuss things with you without you, you know, going ballistic and having some severe retribution. Yeah, I love that. Like, yeah, just making it safe for people to know that you can handle the truth and regulate your own emotions. And yeah, people pick up on that. They know, they sense like what, how you're going to handle it based on experiences. So I love that. Yeah. I like uh, one uh, leader, I think he was the, the president of his company. He wanted to set up a culture of honesty in his organization where unintentional mistakes were okay. It, it was okay to fail. You know, I've seen that in other yeah. leadership literature. And so hiding mistakes or covering up or lying about intentional actions is not acceptable. So he sort of had a hierarchy. And I think we could use this with our, our children, for example. Okay. You know, a level three mistake is just, you know, a mistake. You know, you didn't intend to do it. It jumps up in seriousness to like the level six where it was an intentional bad choice, you know, that they consciously chose to do it. And then the worst level is where they did it intentionally and then they lied and tried to cover it up. So you want to have your kids be able to come to you and say, gosh, dad, I made a mistake. And you can talk about it and try to figure out how to do it better next time. What one leader said it this way. He said, when I mess up, I tell them I've messed up. I say, if you see me mess up, tell me. If you lie to me, I can't help you, he tells them. I don't know what the reality is if you don't tell me the truth. I can't direct us the way we need to go if I don't know what the truth is. Mm-hmm. End quote there. Yep. So really helps set up an honesty culture. And now it just always backfires on you if you try to be dishonest. It, it reminds me of the office grapevine or rumor meal where failure to deal with one employee or one dishonest child will usually become known very quickly to the rest of the organization or the rest of the children very, very fast. It, it's like shrapnel. that The bomb goes off and everyone in the family is hit by it. And everyone knows that something's happened. Yet right. It's almost impossible to keep a dishonest act undercover and everyone will know, well, oh, well, the boss let that one person lie. And so what does that say to them? I guess I can lie it to the boss too when, when I get in trouble. So this skill, you know, it includes transparency, reinforcement, affirmation, and rejection of defensiveness. Those are big words, but those are all great skills. If we can be more transparent and give good reinforcement and affirmation and stop being defensive, that would help our relationships so, so much. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's a whole podcast. Just those right there. I mean, that's a, that's a lot to strive for, but I agree with you. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's so easy to, you know, lose our temper, yeah. become impatient and to not have some self-discipline to not immediately criticize their comments and their actions. So we got to monitor our reactions and responses. Uh, you know, just even down to our body language and tone of voice can tell them that we've already judged them. And so they don't want to tell dad because they'll, dad will go into that voice or that tone and they'll know, even though you might say, that's okay, Johnny, they will know that underneath you don't really believe them. So in dealing with dishonesty, we need to know when to challenge and when to be supportive. You want your kids to tell you things and you don't want to shoot the messenger, as they say, but you want them to give you the straight message. So you, you accept the message, the hard news, the tough situation news, but you don't shoot the messenger or they will never feel like they can come and, and tell you things. And so I remember one, one father, he talked about his son in the heat of the argument had said something. And then a little bit later in the day, the son came back and said, sorry, dad, I wasn't honest in what I told you a while ago. And Oh, he just loved that son so much more that the son had the integrity to come back and correct a lie that he had told in the heat of the moment. Yeah. And this is really speaking to creating an environment where it's safe for everyone to practice honesty. Like you said, last podcast, it's a skill that we have to develop. We aren't born just knowing how to be honest, especially when the heat's on. And so I love that, you know, we can do a lot to create an environment that shows our family members and loved ones that, that it pays off to practice and come back and be honest and, and ultimately commit to that. That's really powerful. Uh, probably one of the last points I, I found in my research was surprising how many of these honest leaders had some accountability structure that they had placed around them. Like, yeah. like one guy went to a weekly, you know, group meeting where everyone stood up and talked about whether they were honest or not this last week. Wow. And so when you have that kind of external accountability, that will help you yep. stay more honest because you know you'll face your peers and the guys you love and your spouse or whoever it is that you've set up as your accountability mentor, and you'll tell them the truth. So my research found that this third-party input is crucial guidance for setting honesty standards and reviewing your conduct. We can deceive ourselves so easily. We need others to help filter us and see things clearly. Getting mm -hmm. wise counsel from people that we care about is so crucial. I personally think that's one of the, the big benefits of marriage is you have a spouse that can call you out on things and is right there for a lot of your interactions and communication with others. And they can help you know when you've gotten off base. Yep. So otherwise, if you don't have that accountability, it's so easy to live a dual life when you do things in public that are different than your private life. Uh, I've often thought I want to do some more research to go back and, and look at people who have fallen, have had dishonesty scandals or something. And I bet I probably would not find any of them that had set up accountability boundaries before that. Uh, probably if they'd all done that, they could have kept themselves being honest. So I think we're getting close on time here. Yeah, we're good. Can I tell you one last story? Yeah, let's do one more story. That'll be great. This is one that really struck me from one of my friends in my doctoral program. He lives in Hawaii and he went to the funeral service for one of the, the founders of one of the, I think it was the Hawaiian National Bank. 
Hmm. And the grandson related a story about his father or grandfather. I can't remember which it was. But the grandfather had started out with a small grocery store on one of the islands in Hawaii. And there was talk in the town about a new stranger that had come into town. And no one had known whether this, you know, what this guy was like. So one day, while the young son was helping his father out in the store, the new resident of the town came in and proceeded to buy a load of groceries. The bill came to $9 and the customer gave grandfather a $10 bill. Grandfather gave the customer a $5 bill in change and the customer left. Hmm. The little boy watched the whole transaction and immediately asked his father, why did you give the man $5 instead of the dollar that was the correct change for a $9 transaction with a $10 bill? Grandfather said that he was testing the man's character, and now he knew enough about the stranger and didn't need to know anymore. Oh, my. That just yep. summarizes. Ooh. Yeah. We just, our integrity is always on display. Yeah. It just if, is. Yep. We have to train ourselves, train our kids in honesty skills. We have to keep going over these points in our life, in our personal inventory. The world or the schools of our kids, the business world is not going to teach you, to be honest. Yeah. We have to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is such valuable information. And uh, and what I'll do is is I'll actually put some of the bullet points and outlines of these so, so my listeners can go back through the show notes and see how you've organized it. Because it's really helpful to see as far as teaching tools for our kids and things to emphasize in our own lives and also for those that we are in charge of. I just think that this whole message of training and practicing honesty to me is very, it's just really affirming, really encouraging because again, I think there's a tendency to believe our kids should just be honest and that we should always just be honest and like there's no other external or environmental influences that impact that at all. And there, it's, there's all kinds of pieces that affect our honesty. And I, I just love how you've broken all this down. And I hope your listeners aren't overwhelmed. I hope they say, wow, I'm going to go back. I'm just going to pick out one of these more than probably a dozen yeah. skill sets that we talked about and just say, all right, this is the one I'm going to do more in, in 2021 here. And I'm going to work on this one. And I hope they don't over feel overwhelmed and say, oh, I could never be fully honest. You know, none of us ever are. We always have a few things that we're working on in the honesty realm. But to just go over the show notes and say, all right, that one really resonated with my heart, my soul. That's the one I want to work on in the next couple of months. Yeah, that's great advice just to, yeah, not, I mean, yes, it's a lot of information over two podcasts. We'll definitely break it down as much as we can. And it's something that people certainly want to review and, and even listen to your discussion on it some more. But the good news is to me is that there are tools and resources and ways to improve our ability to be honest and really to help reset expectations for our own growth and the growth of those that we love. And I just, I love, I love that there's a, a path forward. It's not just be honest. <laughs> We're complicated, but uh, the commitment to learn honesty, the commitment to care about honesty, like in the first episode we talked about is where it starts. And I, I just think that you've outlined it really well. So yeah, that's fantastic. Good. Well, thanks for letting me share these things. Yeah. Thank you for coming on and sharing all this. And again, we'll put all this in the show notes, but uh, yeah, I'd love to... I'm going to review all this myself and teach it just in my own family. So I sure appreciate you. Thanks so much. You're welcome. If you want to connect personally with Dr. Mark Matheson, he actually gave me his email address and told me I could share it with my listeners. And it's dr, so Dr. Mark, M-A-T-H, Dr. Mark Math at gmail.com. I'll put that in the show notes as well. 
But he said, yeah, have any of your listeners, if they have questions or they want to reach out and just clarify something in this research, I'd be happy to correspond with them. And so that's a very generous offer from him. And so that's one way you can get in touch with him. And of course, all his information will be in the show notes so that you can review all the great principles and skills that he did share on this podcast. So once again, I want to thank him for his generosity, his time, and all this fantastic information and helping us live with more integrity and really practice being more honest people. If you love what you're hearing on the Illuminate podcast, of course, I want to remind you that you can head over to my website at jeffstewart.com or lovingmarriage.com, which is easier to spell. And I've got online courses like the Trust Building Bootcamp, which is a 12-week online course designed to help people rebuild broken trust. I have other audio programs, of course, back episodes of this podcast, weekly relationship column, which you can research. There's lots of great topics there and other things. And so I just definitely have a lot of great resources that I keep creating and working on to help support you and your loved ones in the process of healing your relationships and yourself. So go check that out. I'd love to also just continue to communicate with any of you who want to share feedback or ideas or suggestions or anything about this podcast to make it better. You guys have been so great. I love hearing from each one of you and I do try and respond personally to everybody. So I love this community and I really just appreciate everything you guys are doing to drive this podcast forward by sharing it and caring about other people. So I look forward to joining you in the next episode. Until then, take care.